Seven-point sermon, forget this three-point sermon stuff. It's for sissies. This is the real stuff, seven points. And this morning, um, I want to start off by saying, um, in my spare time while at General Assembly, uh, I became a kind of a YouTube junkie. And in that, I, I watched uh, several pieces of footage of people who, from all over the world. Uh, people who were blind, but through various medical techniques, uh, in, they were enabled to see again. Uh, I watched even colorblind. Is there anybody who is colorblind here? Watching colorblind people see color for the first time is an amazing feat. Uh, seeing color again, they just with simple glasses, all of a sudden they, they just break down into tears and go, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. Um, in one scene, there was a... Uh, the camera focused in on the faces of children, many of whom were blind their whole entire lives. And um, one moment, th- uh, they, through different uh, surgeries and different stuff like that, they, the, the bandages were then removed from their eyes. And these children, would, uh, as a, the bandages were removed, they would blink from the brightness that they received for the first time from the sunlight. And then there was a smile that just kind of steals across their face as they see for the very first time. And as I watched the, the expression on their face, the smile and sometimes tears, it's hard for me to imagine what that moment would be like. Seeing for the very first time the face of your mother, your father, seeing green grass or leaves falling or snow. What is this cold thing? What does it really look like? And seeing for the first time. And one has to wonder what blind Bartimaeus felt like when Jesus, with a simple word, restored his sight to this poor man. Of course, not everyone is a candidate for these kind of procedures. Not everyone who is blind, not everyone who is blind, and some people are not even candidates for these procedures, can even have their sight restored at all. Helen Keller, uh, who lived her whole entire life both blind and deaf, was once asked, rather insensitively, I feel, was asked this question, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she replied, and listen to this, better to be blind and see with the heart than to have two eyes and see nothing. And that is actually, in many ways, precisely the point of this portion of Scripture that we are going to read in a moment about Jesus' encounter with Bartimaeus at the end of chapter 10. Better to be blind and to see with the heart than to have two eyes and to see nothing all. So my friends, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We are going to read Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. And ending at verse 52. Hear these words from God's holy and inerrant word. 
And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this event in the life of Jesus is not only well known, but it is also very loved by his disciples. One of the greatest of all preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, has left the church with a sweet legacy of eight sermons, something that he hasn't done with any other section of Scripture, eight sermons on this particular uh, section of Scripture. Uh, The healing of this man is unique, even in the New Testament, for the warmth of its tone, but more particularly for the fact that this is the only person healed by Christ in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whose name is is actually recorded. Bartimaeus. Bar, son of Timaeus. The son of Timaeus. It's as though by the time Mark had written his gospel, this family was well-known members of the Christian congregation. And Bartimaeus seemed to never tire of recounting the events of that one day when he first saw the Lord. So here's here's my, I I warned you, it's going to be a seven-point sermon. I I want you first to see that Bartimaeus was a man who did have barriers. We're told that Bartimaeus was was a blind man. He was sitting by the roadside begging, right? Right? What, what a combination of troubles that he had. He, he was just not partially, he wasn't nearsighted or farsighted. He wasn't colorblind. He wasn't seeing things in a foggy kind of way. This man was blind. His mother, when his mother smiled, a smile of encouragement, he could not see it. He could not see the glimpse of his, of his mother's love etched into her face. When uh, there was a pile of ox dung in his path, he could not step aside. He stepped through it. He, he could not see the ditch. He could not see the low-hanging branch. He could not see the angry dog. When the night sky above Jerusalem brought a million stars because there was no light pollution, it was all to him utter darkness. 
The beauty of the birds and the butterflies and the rainbows and and the flowers and the trees and the little children were all withheld from this man. Think of all the privileges that you have in having sight. They were all not his. At night, when he closed his eyes, and in the morning when he opened them again, it was all alike. Utter darkness. And that was the world that he lived in. But yet the New Testament also tells us that that is the world occupied by all men and women who do not know the living God. We live in a world of utter darkness apart from Christ. You, you tell somebody of the beauties of the Savior and they do not see Him. You read to them the, the Sermon on the Mount and it is just words that they hear and that is all. They cannot see the loveliness of those sentences. You tell them about John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son and whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. They hear those words and they are absolutely blind to its promises. You bring them to a church service and even though they are aware that there is a man who is preaching and a people who are singing, they don't see the point. They are blind because of the God of this world. The devil has fastened a very thick and secure blindfold around their eyes and they see nothing of the glories of a living God. Without Jesus Christ, my friends, we are all blind. We are kind mothers, but blind. Brilliant marketers, but blind. Wonderful musicians, but blind. Amazing teachers, artists, but blind. Electricians, mothers, fathers, garbage men, students, entrepreneurs, nurses, everyone is blind apart from Christ. H.G. Wells told a fictitious story of a mountaineer who was the first man to cross a high mountain range and descend into a valley on the other side to discover all the people who were living there were blind. He lived among them for a while, until they grew very angry with his talk of stars and clouds and colors and twilight. They decided that that was making him crazy. And what was making him crazy were the two protuberances that, be, that occurred beneath his forehead. In other words, his, his eyeballs. And so they had better get a knife and cut them out to cure him of his problem. So, what did he do? He slipped through their hands and escaped, ascending the steep sides of the mountains to return to the land where people see. The great question then is this. What world are you living in? The world of the blind under the sway of the God of this world, unable to see God's glory all around and the loveliness in the face of Jesus Christ, His Son, or has the Savior given you sight? But Bartimaeus was not just blind. He was a man who was impoverished. This, this man, Bartimaeus, the blind pauper of Jericho, was begging for food or pennies to survive, listening for the approaching footsteps of people 
who would be carrying alms with them. He had nothing to sell. He didn't have anything to lose. He was utterly dependent on other people. And my friends, so are you. You depend on God, making yourself known, Himself known to you, speaking to you through His Spirit, by the Bible, giving you life, providing you knowledge and strength and the comforts to live and to die. You are dependent. But more than that, not only was he blind and impoverished, Bartimaeus was marginalized. And he was sidelined. Where was he sitting? He was sitting by the roadside. He was not involved in running the the public affairs of, of Jericho. He was not on the local PTA. He was not running for office in the the city council elections. He did not sit with the wise men at the gate, hearing disputes and passing on his own wisdom. He was an illiterate outsider. And the reality is, so are you if you are outside of the kingdom of God. But this does bring me, as I'm reading this, to a a second realization. My second point is that there was a a profound knowledge of Bartimaeus. He was no moron. People with handicaps can be treated as if they are absolute simpleton when in fact they are intellectually much brighter than people who are shouting at them or talking down to them. He was no idiot. The most important thing, though, that we can understand about this man, Bartimaeus, was that he was a man who was created in the image of God. The Imago Dei was impressed upon him. He could think and he could reason. He can rationalize. Even though all those faculties that he had were damaged by sin as they are all in mankind. This man, Bartimaeus, had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. In the little backwaters of Judea, firmly under the control of Rome, nothing much happened from year to year. And so the preaching, of, the preaching and the signs and the wonders of our Lord were, were the kind of the talking point of the women at the well, the talking point of the people who were in the marketplace. They were the talking point of the men who gathered at the city gates. They were the talking point as people were walking along the roads. Who is he? Where did he come from? What did his father do? What is his message? What is up with these amazing miracles? Everyone had a cousin or an auntie who, who had been transformed by Jesus. Bartimaeus heard all this with his keen sense of hearing. Yet he had witnessed none of the Lord's mighty miracles. He had heard of this man named Jesus, but he had never seen with his own eyes. He had not had the opportunity to talk with the widow of Nain's son or Jairus or Mary and and her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. He had never seen dead people raised with, with a simple word or lepers healed 
by a touch. All these privileges his blindness had totally deprived him of. But, but this man had his ears opened and the wheels of his mind revolved furiously in his life of darkness. He took seriously the many conversations and he pulled all these pieces of information together. He gathered them all and treasured them in his heart. These wonderful sayings, these wonderful deeds. And he may have overheard one passerby or say to another that Jesus had just healed a man who was born blind. And he treasured that in his heart. This man had been washed in the pool of Siloam and had now gone home seeing How can you forget those amazing things? And did you see how Bartimaeus responded when one day he heard the bustle and the most, there was an an incredible intensity in the air, electricity in the air. There was a large crowd, Mark tells us, and when he asked what was happening, somebody told him, Jesus, Jesus was a common name in that day, but Jesus of Nazareth, was coming by. Could you imagine what was going on in his heart and his mind when he heard that good news? What was his response? Did he think, man, here's a crowd, so here's another opportunity to maybe spread out my cloak a little bit further, all the way to the edges, and maybe I can get a few more alms or pieces of bread or a loaf or fish, whatever. Did he shout to the crowd for alms because he was blind? No. What did he do? He began to shout. He began to shout. He didn't mutter. He shouted loudly and as loud as he could. And what did he shout? His first word, words out of his mouth in the Greek, in our scripture, says the first word out of his mouth was Jesus. That was the first words on his lips. Jesus, he cried. And for some of you going, of course. He wanted a particular man's attention. But even choosing those words, that first word was extremely important because that name was not even chosen by Jesus' father, but was given to a newborn child by a messenger of God. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Jesus' name speaks so eloquent, eloquently of who this one is and why the Father even sent His Son into this world. His name means Savior. His name means salvation is of the Lord. Jehovah saves. And Bartimaeus wanted the attention of Jesus, the Savior, wanting more. But he kept on, he didn't just say, hey, Jesus. He said, Jesus, Son of David. He lived, Bartimaeus lived in Judah, steeped in the, which was steeped in the history of the nation. He lived 18 miles from King David's great city, Jerusalem. He knew something about this one who was the greatest of all kings of Judah, to whom God made this promise in 2 Samuel, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
And Bartimaeus heard all of these stories about Jesus and he added to them all the bits of knowledge that he had gained from his knowledge of Scripture because after all, he was a good Jewish boy. Who was this Jesus? The promised great Savior? It was the Messiah. The great David's greater son. What honor he gave to Christ to address him. Jesus, the son of David. He is acknowledging the kingship, the lordship of this man who was soon to be passing by. But more than that, Bartimaeus cried to Jesus, the son of David, these words. Have mercy on me. See how further he... He magnifies our Lord. Bartimaeus saw himself as a guilty man. Not a victim to be pitied. He took responsibility for his own sin. His self-pity, his pride, his lust, his greed, his short-temperedness, his contempt, his jealousy, all the sins that he as a blind man were guilty of, and yet there was, here was the only one who could show him mercy. Bartimaeus went to the man, Christ Jesus, and mercy was what he sought. Mercy is what he cried for. Have mercy on me. Have you ever asked God for mercy? If not, you have never seen your own sin. If you haven't said, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. If you have not exclaimed those words, maybe you do not realize the depth and breadth of your sin. Maybe you are still living in the, the valley of the blind, like H.G. Wells described. But Bartimaeus knew it. And he cried out for deliverance. You think that it's terrible to be blind or to be deaf or to be dumb? I'm sure it is. But it is better to be blind and see in your heart, the truth, the true living God, than to have two eyes and see nothing. Better to be deaf and hear in your mind the voice of the living God speaking and saving than to have two ears and hear nothing. Bartimaeus had developed his own inner world and a, a contemplative, thoughtful kind of spirit. And many of the lusts of his eyes had been no temptation to him. So we're, we're not called to pity Bartimaeus, but it is a call to examine ourselves and to maybe pity ourselves. Maybe it's a call, finally, for us to call out to God and say, have pity on me. Have mercy on me. For I have eyes to see and ears to hear 
but I'm still blind. I'm deaf and haven't responded. Which leads me to my third thing that I see in this man. And I see Bartimaeus' just amazing, dogged persistence. He had little encouragement from the Jerichoites. Did you notice that? Many of the people told him, just, dude, shut up. They, they, they silenced him. Did you pick that up? Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Those, those folks were, were basically saying, fool, dude, shut up. The man of Jericho yelled at Bartimaeus. It was like trying, but it was like trying to silence the roar of Niagara. An impossible task. Bartimaeus was not to be stopped. He will not rest until he was with them. Bartimaeus was utterly determined to meet the one person to whom he could tell all of his troubles. He did not have some vague or wistful or sentimental wish to see this Jesus as kids do for their amazing uh, artists, singers. It's not like, oh, fawning over Jesus. No, he wanted his presence. Because he knew that this was the one. This is the one who could save my soul. Who could have mercy on me. He knew his misery. He didn't care if the groveling voices from the the know-it-alls of Jericho told him to shut up. Because what did he do? He shouted out all the more. And I get that. There's part of me. You tell me to be quiet. It fuels me. But I think this is a different kind of fueling, isn't it? It's like a a uh, spirit-propelled kind of fueling. They're telling me to be quiet, but I know my need is so great, I must call out all the more. Bartimaeus was not going to be silenced by men, and he knew what to say. He's son of David. Have mercy on me. He hadn't read that in a book. Because he couldn't read. No one had told him, hey, listen, this is what you need to repeat when Jesus comes into town. Because he had never bowed before the Son of God. And these were just simple words. It was was his sense of need that supplied him with the right language and the right spirit in which to speak. Have mercy on me. And that was his only plea. And he could not be silenced, though many rebuked him. He was blind, he was wretched, and Jesus had power to open his eyes. He was the only one who could help him. And for Bartimaeus, it was now or never. So Bartimaeus persisted with his prayer. Son of David, have mercy on him. We, we don't know how many more times he called it out. But the next move in this story is powerful. How Jesus responded to him. We're told that Jesus all of a sudden came to a halt. He stopped in his tracks. I can almost imagine there's a huge crowd of people, right? 
gathered around him as he's heading through town. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops in his track. Was there all of a sudden like a pileup? Of people going, what? You're stopping? The cries of this poor, worthless man were enough to make the, think about this, enough to make the maker of the universe stop in his tracks. Jesus had time for this man. There were many people who, who, who have had, had said no to God even this morning that they couldn't even make time to stop and hear His Word. They had maybe, maybe they had too much going on in their life, in their world, in their schedule to make peace with God through Jesus Christ. Way too busy. Always way too busy to stop and hear from God. But here in Jericho, Jesus was on His final trip. He was on His final trip to Jerusalem. And it was going to be a very full seven days. He was going to be cleansing the temple again. The, the upper, he was going to be having a moment in the upper room with His disciples. He was going to begin preaching one of His greatest sermons He's ever preached before His death, culminating in John 17. Oh, that his, his disciples would be one. And then He prayed as no man had ever prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He agonized and sweated blood. He was going to be arrested. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be tried. He was going to be crucified. You want to talk about having a bad week? And he, Jesus had all of this on His heart and it was heavy within Him, bearing the weight of many thoughts. But what did He do? He stood still when a sinner called out to Him. His disciples had no time for this man along the road. The crowd just shouted at him, saying, shut your mouth. But Jesus stopped what he was doing. Jesus stood for Bartimaeus. Call him, Jesus said. There were hundreds that were there, but Jesus singled out the one. In all of His loving particularity, His grace fell that day on one man who was crying out, Have mercy on me. Call Him, Jesus said. So we're told, what did they do? The crowd said to Him, Take heart! Take heart! Cheer up! Be glad! He's calling you. And in my mind, I'm wondering, is this the same crowd that just told him to shut up? Uh, we don't know for sure. Maybe it was his disciples who were closest to him that said, we know what's going on here. But we don't know that. Did the sadness and the longing in this man's heart touch them profoundly or were they only interested in the sport of this occasion here we go another miracle let's get excited oh hey jesus found one we don't know what is going on we don't know what was the precise meaning of their words but they urged him to go to jesus get on your feet he's calling you and my friends i can say the same to you 
the Son of the God, Son of God, the mighty Jesus Christ, calls you today. He says, Get on your feet. Come to me. Ask for mercy. He has called you here. And now He is calling you to Himself. Get on your feet. Come to Me. Cheer up. Why despair about your future? God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And now He is ready to receive you. Friends, look at the eagerness of Bartimaeus' reply. He is, he is out of the starting blocks. He is on his feet and off he goes. I'm going to be honest, I have never seen a blind man jump and start running. But that is the first thing this blind, still blind man does. In his blackness, in his, the darkness of his eyes, he could not see. But yet, what did he do? He leapt. He threw aside his cloak. This was the thing that he spread out to receive all the money, any kind of food that was left over. He, he jumped up over it. It is like, get away. Any hindrance that is in my way, get out of my way. What were a few shekels going to provide him in comparison to the, the presence of this Jesus of Nazareth? Certain opportunities come once in a lifetime. And he knew this was the opportunity of the lifetime. Bartimaeus came to Jesus. That is salvation. You, in your complete and utter darkness and sin, and your need coming to the mighty, divine, welcoming Savior. Leads to the fifth progression, piece in the progression. Did you pick up the question that Jesus asked? The maker of the universe who knows all things, who was integral in forming Bartimaeus in the womb, asked a question. What do you want me to do for you? All questions in the Bible that God asked men seem like naive kind of questions. Beginning with the first question of all. Adam, where are you? But they are deceptively simple. Here was the very heart of the matter. What does this man want from God? Why had Bartimaeus called on Jesus? Why had a blind beggar shouted out at the king of the universe? Did he want a handout? How much or how little did he believe that Jesus could actually do for him? What did he actually believe? Bartimaeus was not a problem to be dealt with. He was not another statistic of healing and saving for his disciples to kind of uh, notch on their conversion stick. Jesus can do something for this man. What do you want me to do for you? You, a real person made by God and for God. With the Lord, 
my friends, we even have to be precise. We, we're called to be particular even in our prayer life. We can say, Lord, fix this peace. Remove this from me. Will He grant you all your prayers? Will He be the genie in the bottle? Just rub Jesus, God, nice, and all of a sudden, woof, out comes a million dollars or a perfect marriage, or perfect children, or solves the lust or sin in your life, will he just remove it? No. But he does say, what do you want from me? It's a call to be particular. And his response in verse 51 was, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see just one thing that he wanted, and that was his sight. Charlotte Elliott uh, wrote this, this song, and the verse is this, Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of mind, yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come. I love it. Sight, riches, healing of mind. Yet all that I need, all that I need, in Thee I find. My question for you is, what is it that you want from God? Why are you even here this morning? What, what do you know exactly that you want from God? If you, don't know, if you don't know what you want from God, then no wonder your life might be a mess. And it it's always will be a mess until you tell Christ what it is that you desire. Part, part of this is, in this moment, a communion that is going on between a, a sinner and his Savior. And having that delicate, precious, intimate moment of saying, Lord, would you take this thorn from me? Would you bless me with? Would you care for me in the? This is a moment of communion. And we look at this man, there, there was no stammering at all from Bartimaeus. It wasn't the, well, now that I've got the platform, I'm not really sure what to say. He said it just once. Rabbi, I want to see. Listen to what Spurgeon said when he spoke these words on August 7, 1859. Let me beseech you to go home to your room. And there kneeling by your bedside, by faith, picture the Savior saying to you, what do you want to do, me to do for you? Fall on your knees and without hesitation tell Him all. Tell Him you are guilty and you desire that He would pardon you. Confess your sins. Let none of them be back. 
Say, Lord, I implore you, pardon my drunkenness, my profanity, or whatever it may be that you are guilty of. And then still imagine you hear him saying, what do you want me to do for you? Tell him, Lord, I would be kept from all those sins in the future. I shall not be content with being pardoned. I want to be renewed. Tell him you have a hard heart and ask him to soften it. Tell him you have blind eyes and that you can't see your interest in Christ. Ask him to open your heart. Confess him before him. You are full of iniquity and prone to wander. Ask him to take your heart and wash it and then set it above, set the things above, set it on things above and prevent it from being fond of the things of earth any longer. Tell it out plainly. Make a frank and full confession in his presence. And what if it should happen, my dear hearer? As if it won't, nothing would happen. What would happen, my dear hearer, that at that very day, while you are in your room, Christ should give thee a touch of grace. Put your sins away. Save your soul and give you the joy to know that you are now a child of God and now an heir of heaven. Imitate the blind man in the explicitness and straightforwardness of his confession and his request. Rabbi, I want to see. And that leaves us with the seventh movement in this short section. Jesus' response. Go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, blind Bartimaeus no longer was known as blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus received his sight. And not only did he receive his sight, what did you notice how it ends? It, it ends, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Our Lord didn't say that if he promised to follow after him and if you start tithing and start giving and serving in temple ministry and do this and do that, you will be able to see. No, instead, Jesus said, I see your faith. Go. You are healed. What Bartimaeus wanted had been done and now Jesus is saying, go. He had trusted entrusted himself to Christ. He had put himself totally, completely on Christ. And shouldn't, my friends, shouldn't we believe on Jesus Christ ourselves in that same way? Lord, here I am. Bartimaeus believed 
right into Christ and cried out to him to have mercy on him. And Christ had mercy on him and he was changed. That faith saved him. He he who was blind saw and the first thing that he saw was what? The face of his Savior. And he didn't just go away as Jesus had instructed him. But instead, what did this man do? His way of going is going the way of Christ. Following closely after him. When we first met Bartimaeus in in verse 46, he was sitting by the side of the road calling out for alms for the poor. But what a difference now, right? He he is on the road and he is following Jesus along the road without the assistance of a cane or people to take him along the way. He is now following this Jesus to the cross. He would see this Jesus Himself Give Himself. His blood was going to be shed. He sees the One who gave Him new life give up His own life. And th- this is total conjecture. This is, just, this is the, the thoughts in my head. But I want to believe that Bartimaeus could very well have been there with the 500 on the Mount of Ascension. It's not, it's not in Scripture anywhere. But I want to believe in my heart of hearts that Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, had the amazing privilege of actually seeing the ascension of Jesus Christ. He saw the risen Christ, the conqueror of death itself, So my friends, everyone here this morning is on a road. Every one of you. And and what you bring to this road is going to be totally different. For Bartimaeus, it was his, his physical blindness. For some of you, it is going to be totally different. Everyone. There's no exception. Every, every road leads somewhere. Everyone, every road with a destination. The question is, who are you following? And as I wrote this last paragraph, it felt kind of gutsy and ballsy to say it, you know. But I can say this. By the authority of the ever-living God, I urge you not to resist the mission of the Holy Spirit as as He comes from this throne of heaven this day to bring you here to hear this message. When He says, believe it, O sinner. Believe these words. Receive this good news. Friends, receive this as good news. It's true. It's Faithful. Don't go on admiring Jesus and His people while you yourself are uncommitted yourself. 
Don't be a part of this family and just say, man, these are just really nice people who have received me and my family or me personally. And Man, they're just really nice people. The call from Jesus Himself is, come to me. Receive this good news. Fall upon His mercy. And with that, receive new sight. That is the call. Cry out to Jesus with a confidence like none other. Because, my friends, He will stop mid-stride. And He will receive you. So take heart. Cheer up. Get on your feet. He is calling you, and if He calls you, then, my friends, go to Him. Don't let the crowds or your personal fears get in the way. Go to Him. Run to Him. Don't let your past shame keep you from His present mercy. Go to Him. Get up. It's the same Jesus still. It is the same heart that pitied this blind man from Jericho. My friends, go to Jesus boldly. And when He asks you what you want, tell Him that you desire that the eyes of your heart will be opened to the Lord of all. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.